On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. AKA Menas, and joining me today, I have freelance cricket analyst Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Good, Menas. Great to be here. And then the other person joining us today, and I've taken his intro from the New South Wales cricket uh, press release, veteran Trent Copeland claimed the Blues JLT Sheffield Shield Most Valuable Player Award following another excellent season, taking 34 wickets and an average of 25. In an era where his high-profile fast-bowling partners rule with pace as well as skill, Copeland has perfected the subtle arts of persistent swing and seam bowling. Welcome back to the show, Trent. How are you? Going well. Thanks for having me. What a nice introduction. <laughs> Although the veteran part, I'm not a, not a big fan of. I think uh, Malcolm Conn wrote that, so um, <laughs> he's got that got that down for you. So. The New South Wales didn't have a great finish to the season, but you personally had a great season. How are you feeling about it, sort of now that you've had a bit of time to reflect on it? Yeah, it was a disappointing year. Anytime New South Wales don't win silverware is a disappointment. We're the premier state, province or county in world, in world cricket, and we've been that way since day dot. So we certainly have aspirations of changing that around next year in terms of winning the JLT One Day Cup at the start of the summer, and then also bouncing back in the shield where we had lots of opportunities to win key moments this year and then that would have led to success mm. uh, but didn't quite get there. But everyone's a bit more experienced coming into next season. Uh, there's going to be a new coach and some new players on the roster uh, and, yeah, I'm extremely optimistic that we've got the core group that can do it. Yeah, it was a strange one last year because the team started so well and then uh, just didn't quite after the Christmas break, able to sort of kick on from there. Can you, can you put your finger on why? And I guess, what are you looking from in a new coach? What are you looking for in a new coach? Uh, it's really hard to put your finger on it, uh, but we had different stages of the year where guys obviously go in and out of form, but we had a couple of debutants come into the side, uh, Dan Fallons, Mickey Edwards, and Param Upul towards the end of the year. The, the first five games of the summer, we had... Uh, an influx of the Australian guys, the test guys available. They performed super, super well. Uh, and the rest of us that were still in that side when they were there uh, were all contributing at the same time, I guess. So that that was the main reason why we were top at Christmas. And then uh, you throw in a little bit more inexperience and then a few, uh, I guess, conditions not going your way and then some bad performances on our part and the results maybe flipped on the head. So in a competition as strong as the Sheffield Shield, you can't afford to have slip-ups, and that's what happened in maybe a couple of sessions in each of those last four or five games, and we didn't come away with a win. So, yeah, in, in regards to a coach, uh, it's it's going to be an interesting one to see where Cricket New South Wales go. Uh, I know Phil Jakes is, was the assistant coach, and he's certainly got a pedigree as a head coach and um, knows what New South Wales cricket is all about. Uh, and then no doubt there's going to be other applicants that come and put their hand forward to 
take over a pretty prestigious job in terms of Australian and world cricket. So I'm excited. Yeah. New new coaches bring new ideas and, and challenge the players in different ways, and I'm excited about that. And is that what the team needs, some different challenges? Uh, that's really hard to answer. I, I don't know whether it's going to be the answer of us winning or not, but uh, I think it'll probably push individuals to get better and then whether we can then do that collectively on the field. We've got the talent to win regardless of who the coach is. I'm pretty confident in that. So hopefully it's a positive and a couple of our young guys really start to kick on and, and take it their opportunities with, with both hands. Yeah, well, it's, it's a big change. Is a, I mean, interesting news came out, I think, in the last couple of days that Nick Maddinson might be looking for a new state. That seems unbelievable, 16 months after making his test debut. What, what, what's he like as a teammate? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really shocked as well, and I think he is one of the most talented players outside of the test team in the entire country when it comes to all three formats and what he's capable mm. of doing. So... Uh, I really hope that he lands on his feet and, and certainly he's got more to give in terms of Australian domestic cricket. He's a lovely guy, reserved guy. Uh, you know, he likes different things external to cricket, loves golf, um, you know, hanging around in the eastern suburbs where he plays his club cricket. But he's from down south in the country. Lovely family, young brothers that play for Sutherland and ultimately he's just been a really good teammate. I've played with him a lot since his mm. debut. I've been there the whole way and yeah, it's it's a real shame. When these yeah. things happen, it's really hard emotionally as a teammate. Yeah, I bet. I guess... Um, Certainly not as hard as it is for him, mind you. I'm <laughs> not complaining. Yeah, I think, though, maybe a change won't be the worst thing for him in terms of shaking things up, finding a new team, a new environment. Yeah, I, I certainly don't rule him out for playing Sheffield Shield cricket for New South Wales still. Uh, if he is playing well, he's very, very yeah. close to our best team, if not a lock in our best team. Uh, so a contract, whilst it uh, you know, may present another opportunity for him, I just really hope that he lands on his feet. And if that's playing club cricket here, having an outstanding JLT one-day series like he did last summer for the Blues, and he finished second in the Player of the Year tally in that. If he can do that, then there's no reason why he couldn't be playing for New South Wales again. Definitely. All right, so in this episode of the podcast, we're going to wrap up the headlines. We're going to look at the new TV deal. We've got the commentary critique, so a lot to get through. Some big news, the podcast has made it through to the finals of the Australian Podcast Awards, so the winners will be announced on May 5th, so keep your fingers crossed. Well done, Listeners, thank you. The Cricket Unfiltered lifts the trophy, uh, so keep your fingers crossed for that. And I guess, you guys, have you been watching the IPL? Because it's really the only cricket on at the moment and it's on Fox Sports every night. I've been watching it. What, what, what do you think of the IPL? I've been watching it a little. Uh, it's great that it's on TV. Uh, it's been too long that it wasn't. But the, t- the time zone is hard. I've turned it on a few times and suddenly realised that I've fallen asleep for an hour and hadn't noticed it. It's, at midnight it's hard work but um, yeah, it's a wonderful tournament. Um, I, I think that De Villiers lighting it up is a great thing for world cricket. He's continuing the great form he showed against Australia. Uh, I'd like to get into it more. Um, maybe if they could schedule the matches for 6am their time, that'd be great. I'd like to go over next summer. It just looks like a, such a rich competition. The, the crowds, the, the noise, the colour, just it's so inviting. Yeah, it is, absolutely. I, I certainly watch it and the double headers are where it's at because they yeah. start at 9.30 over here. But even recording it and then watching it the next day or the highlights are generally on around 1.30 in the afternoon. Mm. Um, so that's made it accessible to most people and I think 
as you mentioned, A.B. De Villiers, what an absolute superstar yeah. of the game. Chris Gale winding it back. Watto uh, even with a Watto, big turn. Yeah, absolutely. But even got, last night, it was 33 sixes. Yeah, MS Stoney finishing that game off. What a superstar. But we've got a lot of young Australian guys making an influence on that tournament as well. A.J. Ty's been great. Uh, Glenn Maxwell. And, and a couple of the big guns. Aaron Finch hasn't quite got mm. started yet, but I'm sure he will. And, and we've got a real presence over there in that tournament, which is fantastic. I saw Ben Cutting's girlfriend, Erin Holland, even has a like a magazine style show over there. So does she? Yeah. Well, the, the, the Aussies are taking over the IPL, <laughs> as they should. <laughs> I, I, I I tweeted out a poll today asking whether after seeing Donny hit seven sixes or something, whether Donny was better than Gilchrist, and without doubt. 75 or 80% voted for Gilchrist being the best keeper batsman ever. So even though some time has passed, his reputation is not diminished. Where's your following base from? Well, I was surprised. I thought I was going to get a lot of um, critiques from India. But no, that, I think even the Indians really sort of recognise how good Gilly was. And he was, I think, there at the beginning of the IPL. He played the first few years. So Gilly is one of the, probably the most popular Australian cricketer in India. And there's plenty of that are popular. But... Gilly is beloved around the world. I mean, Donny's a great cricketer, but I still think Gilchrist is the best cricketer I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. He, he gets his portraits, and they both richly deserve it. And when you compare, you know, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for going either way on that one, but they're both absolute superstars of the game that really changed the way the wicket-keeping mm. position had been viewed. Yeah, Donny's really test got average be... was near 40, so he was really good. Yeah, and both striking at around 100 in test cricket. So that, that alone says enough about... You, know, you can't just be a keeper anymore. You've got to offer something uh, on top mm-hmm. of that, which is great. All right. So let's get into the podcast for this week and read and react to the TV deal that was done for cricket in this country. The broadcasting has been sorted out. And I want to declare some bias up front. Firstly, I've always been a huge Foxtel fan, so that is ingrained in me. I remember when they started covering tours overseas, it was like a dream come true. And for many years, people used to tell me I could probably sell Foxtel on the side. I was so passionate about it. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is this is the News Corp cricket podcast. News Corp owns a fair percentage of Foxtel. So I guess there is some bias that it's probably good for the podcast that they've bought the right. So keep that in mind. But I will give you my positives and negatives from the decision. Now, let's start with some of the details. It was a one point. $2 billion TV deal. Over that six is, years? Over six Which years. Very clever because I think they were going to be just under the $1 billion for five years and that was the mark they wanted. So they pumped it to six years so they could claim it was over a billion, which was quite smart. So Channel 9 and Channel 10 are gone. They've been given their marching orders and income Channel 7 and Fox Sports. So let's get through the sort of intricacies of the deals. Reports are coming out that Channel 9 were always on the outer from the beginning. And I just sort of wonder why they've been partners for so long. Cricket Australia would just go bang, all right, we want to change. Uh, I guess that there was, and and this is just a summation of, you know, a, a few quadrants of the country maybe getting a little bit stale with the coverage and because they had been around for so long, it wasn't that they were doing a bad job. It was just literally people want to change. But ultimately, I think the... Channel 9 has been the home of cricket for a long, long time and done a fantastic job in growing the game along with Cricket Australia and all the players. So 
it's played a huge role. And I don't and they're know innovators as well with the actual coverage, the cameras. They've been yeah. really innovators, and they have really tried in recent years to get the likes of Michael Clark and Kevin Peterson, more recent cricketers, uh, you know, into the coverage. Well, so that's one reason they've probably been turfed. <laughs> the two most unpopular blokes in the world, <laughs> potentially. But uh, I also want to reference Channel Ten, and I think the way they have broadcast the Big Bash has been one of the highlights for me in Australian sport in general, mm. and I think they certainly need to be commended on their role in it becoming the biggest domestic T20 tournament in the world. Well, that's where I think this deal sort of it gets a bit murky. Reports suggest that Channel 10 were, were sort of frozen out at the end, that they didn't have an offer to even sort of bid above Channel 7, and if that's the case... That's pretty poor because, as you say, Channel 10 did so much to grow the Big Bash. They really enlivened cricket in this country in the last five years. So if they weren't given the opportunity to bid at the end, that seems a little bit, I don't know, it doesn't seem kosher to me. No, I I agree. But I I suppose ultimately one of my big things was I wanted it to be on either 9 or 7 as a selfish cricket lover because as much as I completely agree, Channel 10 did a wonderful job and it's a great shame that they're not going to be covering the Big Bash. The one good thing about it being on 9 or 7 is that they are the two biggest networks and you just get the incidental viewers. You get the people that still, their TV is on Channel 7 or Channel 9 almost as a default and you get hundreds of thousands of extra potential viewers. So as a cricket lover, I think that's a good side of things. But it's sad to see 9 go, um, especially that for 40 years they've been um, the reason that cricket is... You know, they took over cricket. It was a popular game, but it was the game that your granddad might watch. It was a game that lovers of the game watched. And then they turned it into something that became uh, massive mainstream entertainment. There's still footage uh, on YouTube of ABC broadcasting the cricket for 10 years after they lost the rights because they still showed the test matches to the country areas throughout the I mean, 1980s. Norman May? Yeah. So I looked at the well, I watched 88, 89, the first test on, uh, on YouTube the, the other day, the highlights of, from the ABC. I'd never seen this before. They still only had one camera uh, at the ro- one end and the commentary was, it was all right, but it just didn't have the, the excitement. If, if, if cricket had stayed on ABC, cricket's tra- trajectory in this country would have been vastly lower than, than it was. So, you know, nine did a wonderful job. I think we're seeing, though, the influence of David Peaver at Cricket Australia in the last year. And Trent, don't comment on this, but we've we've seen, you know, with the pay dispute and then with this TV negotiations, Peaver runs hard line negotiations. So that's their style. And I guess, you know, Channel 10 and Channel 9 were just left out at the end. But lots of good things, lots of good things for cricket. So all cricket will be on Fox Sports and then Channel 7 will simulcast all the test matches, most of the Big Bash. Um, so most of the cricket will be on Channel 7. The only thing that's not on free-to-air TV now is the white ball international games for Australia and 16 Big Bash games. So this means that the Big Bash has gone to a full home and away season. So the extra games are basically on Foxtel. So free-to-air is not really losing anything with the Big Bash. Uh, they're going to Foxtel. So let's sort of unpack this slowly. I guess I'm going to start with you, Trent. I'm a big fan of expanding the Big Bash, but as a red ball domestic player, what you know, this changes the dynamics of the summer. It does, and it, it certainly isn't unplanned. This has been discussed with the player group. This has been discussed with all management for a long period of time, and the expansion may seem like it's come as a result of the TV deal, but it's certainly well thought out and well planned. So uh, as a guy who last year only played in red ball cricket and and didn't play in the Big Bash, I think as a fan, the the product 
how it was was fantastic. And the thing that I would hate to see is like in England where they were basically the pioneers of T20 cricket but really flooded the market with too much and they lost context. I just hope that we don't go too far with it Mm. too early and we lose how much aura this tournament has around the population. Ultimately, it's it's what's pulling fans through the gates and, and new fans and new viewers to the game of cricket. So... Ultimately, uh, Red Bull, I don't think, will change too much. It's, it's what still will they do? Will they play? I mean, they we're play. going six before Christmas okay, good. and four after. So that's and the plan? Still be, and I be, well, as far as you know, what actually happens, mm. you know, we'll see you know, where it actually gets to when it's locked into the schedule. But no doubt the extra Big Bash window creates more time for fans to get exposure to their favourite teams favourite players and all their overseas international superstars as well. But hopefully it just pushes the JLT series, one-day series, back earlier uh, and then we still get the same amount of Shield games. So ultimately we're just extending that period, I guess more like a footy season where there's more exposure. And I think that's good because mm-hmm. um, we can do that with our summer. In England, they've kind of put the county se- county games at the start and the end, but that doesn't really work so well there because their weather's no good. Whereas here, we can play the JLT quite early, especially if we played in the warmer in the warmer cities. And I think cricket needs to fight for February. I've sort of said this before, that it seems crazy to me that the last month of the summer is, particularly in Melbourne, is kind of, um, they're already switched over to, to Aussie rules. The rugby league's coming up big time here. Nothing wrong with that, but cricket needs to say we need a presence uh, at the international level. Um, well, at, sorry, at the international level or the Big Bash um, more into February than it currently is. You're absolutely spot on, and I'd be amazed if that's not actually discussed. You know, in terms of winning that February window, yeah. uh, because it is right in the middle of the cricket season. But once that Big Bash finishes and we drift off into a gap between Test series, yep. there is a big hole there in terms of content that people actually see on face-to-face vision or TV at least. So, yeah, spot on. Mm. Are you thinking of playing BBL now? Does this change your thought process? It doesn't change, no. I certainly feel like my cricket is much better when I'm revitalised towards the end of the summer for red ball cricket. But I also still think that, you know, in my early 30s that I've still got plenty to give if an opportunity arose. So I certainly haven't closed that door, but my body certainly thanks me for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, I wasn't sure what a Sheffield Shield player would think of the new setup. So it's some more things with the TV deal. I've dreamed for hours about a 24-hour cricket channel. If Fox Sports make this, makes this happen, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever need to change a channel again. Uh, but I don't like, I don't like the white ball internationals being only on Fox Sports. I just don't like it. I just, to me, it feels like the anti-siphoning laws have somehow been sort of got around yeah. when these games are supposed to be protected. Especially when, to what I understand, that at least in one of ten or nine's bids, they wanted to show the the white ball internationals on free to air. So I don't understand how they've managed to subvert the the anti-siphoning laws. Maybe it'll get knocked on the head by the government. I heard Jim Maxwell the other week saying maybe that's a possibility or that it doesn't feel like that'll be the case. It's a pity because for so many people for so long, one day cricket was a massive a massive part of the summer. And there's two World Cups coming up, the 50-over World Cup next year and the 20-over World Cup the year after. Fans won't get to see the build-up at home. Yeah, and although that one day cricket has lost a lot of its luster, uh, it's still was getting excellent ratings on Channel 9. The uh, T20 inter- one day, the T20 internationals were still rating really well. They will plummet. Um, it's the only part of the deal that I really dislike, um, but I can live with it, I suppose. I, just to add to that, I think that from a player's point of view, 
There is certainly no lack of energy towards 50-over cricket. Yeah. We still love it. Mm. People want to play it. And particularly, guys who are doing well at white ball cricket in T20, they still the ultimate is representing your country in white ball cricket. It's not playing for your big bash team. Yeah, exactly, which so, is why they should be on TV. And I think they'll probably start to try to move them in the calendar uh, because at the moment with the one days in, in January, I'd imagine if I was Channel 7, I'd say maybe not this summer but soon – we want the Big Bash stars available. We want, we want the national stars available in the Big Bash, given we're going to be showing this. So let's put the one-dayers into November or something like that, um, which possibly wouldn't be a bad thing to give the Big Bash a real, a real presence, but it will further marginalise the, the ODIs. Some other good things to come out of the TV deal is that the women's game is getting a lot more coverage. So there'll be 23 women's Big Bash League games covered on Seven and Fox Sports, as well as all women's internationals. Now, the Sheffield Shield final goes back to TV, thank God, and 13 JLT one-day cup matches go to Foxtel and Channel 7. I think that's great. More domestic coverage, the better. The only area I think they could have maybe put a bit more of is I think the day-night Shield games are great TV viewing. Under pink ball, under lights, they could get them on TV. And, you know, some of those games are cracking to watch. I get the streams going and they, they you know, it's a day-night game. You get home from work and you can watch it. So I think that's something they could expand in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Fox Sports coverage, I think, has the great luxury of being a platform that's already set up. They've got the resources camera-wise. They've got the commentary base, or they certainly will have. And they could pinpoint the rounds that Australian players are going to be yeah. available like the first round this year, we played against South Australia at the Adelaide Oval, and we basically had the full Australian side, you know, playing in that fixture. So I think you televise that game. There's immediate lure to the viewer, not only because it's a pink ball game, it's high quality cricket, but you're also seeing who's in form, who's out of form in terms of the Australian cricketers that are going into the Test summer. So I think you're right, and I I would be surprised if it didn't build into that. I hope so. And we would have all seen Chad Sayers give Steve Smith a massive send-off if that had been covered that game. <laughs> it's true, though. I, I don't have the energy to look up the streams like you do, Madison. So I sort of feel like when a new player comes into the Australian side, I don't know them as much as I'd like to. But if I could be watching the Shield more often... I'd love it if they had a few marquee games, maybe in um, some of the smaller grounds where if you get a crowd of two or 3,000, it's a real atmosphere. Pinpoint a few of these and you know, in Newcastle or something, publicise in advance. Hurstville. And, and televise those. Well, the great thing about that Adelaide Oval game, because of the, you know, they publicise it in Adelaide and there was actually great crowds from sort of four o'clock onwards because it's so accessible yeah. to the city. So I would actually think that, you know, small grounds would work, but also places like Adelaide, yep. they absolutely loved it and it was a great game of cricket. So... I, I, yeah, I'm fully on board with that, and I think it's a great way also, including the JLT and the women's games, great way for the commentary team to develop chemistry and, yep. and learn commentary together and all of those things. So it's not only about the players, it's also about the, the production. Definitely. One other thing on the, on the women's game, I hope Channel 7 show it on Channel 7 um, and not on 7 Mate or 7 Two. I hope they give it a chance to really compete in the free-to-air market and, and pump it up and, and really you know, give it that chance. And the other thing to come out of this is the right to broadcast digitally is also being bought by Fox Sports. Now, this is really important in today's market. For If you want to engage with younger audiences, you have to be able to bring in people that don't have a TV. If I was moving out of home now, there's no way I'd hook up Foxtel or uh, – actually, I probably would because I love it. But just say I was normal. If, if I moved out, you cut the cord. Everything – you can stream everything. You can watch it on your laptop – 
Uh, if I want to buy a cricket match as a 20-year-old, I should be able to just log on and buy a series or a summer and be able to pay for that. And people will pay for digital content now. So I think the digital platform is increasing in, in importance a long, uh, by a long way. For sure. I mean, in 10 Cord years, cutters. in ten years, free-to-air as it exists now probably won't exist. The, the whole thing will probably be a digital platform. So... Let's get it going sooner rather than later. And Paul, I'll, I'll, we'll, end, we'll end this discussion with a question. Is this a good deal for cricket? I think so, yeah. In your opinion? I, I think so. I think it's a pity that it's losing, leaving Channel 9, but I think it, it needed to be freshened up. There's precedent. Uh, I think Channel 7 covered the Aussie rules for years and then suddenly they lost it. They bid for it again a few years later. There's no reason in six years' time that Channel 9 might, come, not, might not come surging back. And if 7 innovates and changes things, that could be a good thing. I can live with, regrettably, the ODIs and the T20Is not being on um, free-to-air TV. It's the one really bad part of the deal. But ultimately, I think that it's still going to keep Australian cricket strong. Trent, good or bad deal for cricket? Yeah, great deal. I think there was no losers in this deal in the sense that, other than the TV networks who would ultimately have wanted to broadcast cricket, uh, you know, all the players, all the fans... There's more money invested. There's going to be more care invested and more growth in the game because of the finances involved. So I don't think there are any losers in this. And that ultimately is what Cricket Australia wanted. So uh, from a player's point of view, I'm happy. Yeah. One thing with Channel 7, I, their tennis coverage does, for me, take one level too far of promoting their shows. I know they have to do it, but just allow the cricket to, to dominate um, and pump your own shows up, but don't go overboard. I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. They've spent a lot of money. I need to get some return on investment. All right, now to the most popular segment in the show, the commentary critique segment. This TV deal, deal does wonders for the segment because it's a complete shake-up of the commentary landscape. Now, to get things started, I, I put a poll out, should Warney be a commentator in the new deal? And I was surprised that 61% said no, Warney shouldn't be a commentator, which means I think the crowd's sick of him. So I guess, firstly, what do you guys think of Warney in the box? I'll, I'll jump in and I'll say the thing that I want as a fan is great analysis and ability to get into the minds of the best cricketers in the world and tell me what they're thinking at any given stage or why they do things. Warney can do that. So I think there's a lot of external rubbish that maybe comes in with it uh, at times. But the the thing that he is, is the best leg spin bowler there's ever been. And when leg spinners have come to this country, or spin bowlers in general, he is one of the great people to talk about it when it's going on. What he's thinking at the time. Yassir Shah, when he was out here, didn't have as great a success as he would have liked. I'll tell you what, I bloody enjoyed watching him bowl because Warney was commentating his way through it. So I think there's value, certainly, in him being a part of it. I agree. I, I, I quite like Warney. I mean, he he brings as well a little bit to my earlier point that he, he brings in the casual viewer, that if you're flicking stations and you're not interested in cricket that much and you hear Shane Warne talking, you're probably more likely to, to stick around. I think he's interesting and, you know, occasionally he says things that I think are, um, like, he's... he's Regular kind of sniping at Steve War, I think you could leave that behind, and a few things like that that frustrate me. But by and large, um, he's he's better than most, and and he's himself. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, you know, whilst I said before, there's some other stuff that comes with it. At the end of the day, he's being himself, and he presents that on camera or you know through the airwaves, and ultimately, people love him no matter what he's done over the years. And I think he's great for the game in building it up, and people you know just tuning in. So. 
I don't think there's a negative there other than maybe people who have already switched off in the past. Yeah, I think he maybe got a bit of that Channel 9 angst in that poll. But I guess, so Trent, you said you want sort of good analysis. I think what we want, I mean, what I want in a new sort of commentary setup, both in Channel 7 and Fox, is a more diverse crew. I mean, we talked about the IPL before. It's very refreshing. They have commentators from all around the world. It's like a United Nations of commentators, male and female, and they all come together. And it's more interesting because you get a variety of opinions, male and female, different views. So I'd like to see people like Mel Jones, Lisa Stalaker. I'd like to see the whole Channel 10 team move across. I don't know how he's going to jig his contract at Channel 10, but if we could get the whole Channel 10 team across into the new boxes, I think that'd be good. Uh, any personnel you guys want to see? I, look, I don't disagree with any of that, but the one thing I'd... Um... <laughs> Copes, put his hand up. I tell you now, I'm putting my hand up real hard to be a part of the not only the commentary side of things, which I love doing on the grandstand a couple of years ago, but in the 24-hour cricket channel, spending time on panel shows, analysing the game, how the current players are going in the game, those sort of things. I think, you know, whilst I'm pumping my own tyres about being a current player and wanting to be invested in this because I like it. Uh, and and he wants I, a job. And think I can add something to it. But I think the current player group needs some sort of representation in terms of talking about women's cricket, about JLT one-day cricket, about Sheffield Shield finals, and then about new guys that come into the test team rather than someone commenting on... Peter Hanscom set up and saying, oh, geez, that looks weird. Yeah. And having nothing else to add, mm. you know. The, so that's where I guess I, as a, I guess, aspiring commentator or, you know, person in the media, but say an Ed Cowan or someone who's recently finished in the game can add real value to the analysis. Certainly nowhere near the caliber of the other guys that we're talking about. And they are the priority. But in terms of the analysis shows or, you know, the low end commentary stuff, you know, let's get a, female voice like Alyssa Healy when she's not playing cricket. Let's get her involved. Mm. But the Mel Jones and Lisa Stalaker, I love it. Current players, though, to be really critical. I mean, you can't give one of your mates a serve if you're in the commentating, no, but, can you? But why do you need to? You don't need to give someone a serve. You can talk your way through why something hasn't been executed Good well. Point. Why someone you know misses a ball on their middle stump, what they're trying to do as a result of it. But also talking through the current mental state of, you know, when you get couple of ducks and you're in bad form or when you're not bowling well or when the seam's not quite presented well why does that happen and and what the thought process during that phase so I think that stuff is becoming more and more of a thirst from the public and wanting to know that and it's never been really covered in depth in the past well I think Cricket Unfiltered could go to Foxtel Patrick <laughs> Delaney if you're listening and obviously Trent would be keen to come on I would I'd, I agree with all that but what I'd also like to see is a return to the days where not every single person in the box was a current or ex-player. I don't think that you need to have scored 10,000 runs to be a good commentator. And you look at Jim Maxwell or Harsha Bogle and some of the great commentators of yesteryear were brought in because of their journalistic expertise and their broadcasting expertise and their ability to tell a story. I think that the commentary box would be added by that. Obviously, you're going to have ex-players and ex-superstars as the majority, but I'd love to see some some professional broadcasters be given a go as well. I could not agree more. And I think that's one of the great strengths of radio coverage yeah. a lot uh, over the TV coverage in recent years. 
and particularly since you know the great Richie Benno's past and you know numerous other voices that we've grown up who were probably great at both. Yes. Um, so I I couldn't agree more, and I think Jim Maxwell, what a fantastic example for broadcasting in this country, fantastic human being, but someone that genuinely cares about creating a picture in people's yeah. minds. And that is still valuable on TV, although the pictures are there in front of people. But Benno's a good point because he was Australian captain and stayed on at the end of a tour of England and said to the BBC, can you just treat me as a cadet journalist? And basically they put him through his paces for months and he learnt the craft of journalism from from the ground up. And so when he actually got the, the, the job, he had, the, he had, as you say, the, both, both strings to his bow. Yeah, there's a few people I don't want to see in the commentary, and I think there is a risk. Actually, you talked about (laughs) Channel 10, how well they did. You know, there is a risk in changing that to Channel 7. You know, if they don't get it right, they might lose the public. So I don't want to see James Brayshaw. You're out. Dennis Cometti, great voice, absolute legend. But I think you want a younger, more relevant host. No Mark Nicholas, no Michael Clark, no Kevin Peterson. Goodbye, all the... uh, I like Mark Nicholas. So here's my thing. I think Mark Nicholas was great at the end and very professional, fantastic at his job, but they need a new anchor and a new face of cricket. Oh, yeah. I'm not necessarily saying he has to be the face of it, but I, even if he just is a commentator for Foxtel, when he's not, you know, I think Channel 9, sometimes the director's in their ear saying, we don't want people switching to Channel 7, pump it up, pump it up, and so you get a bit of his kind of maximum and all that sort of stuff. Just recently, he, he anchored the coverage from South Africa, which was on Supersport in South Africa, pay TV. You're only kind of watching it if you're a cricket fan. And he did a wonderful job toning it back to his general, natural self, who loves cricket, is eloquent. I always quite enjoy it when he's in the commentary box. And I actually really like the, I guess, diversity that he adds to the group. Yeah. And, and the way he talks about the game is from the English background, but also... Uh, understands it at the first class level and understands it from the cricket fans point of view yeah. so that that's important to me and I agree I still remember watching Channel 7 coverage of a South African tour a long time ago with Dennis Cometti running the broadcast and Greg Blewett getting down on one knee hitting cover drives for four for fun uh, so there is the essence of what cricket is about on that channel uh, and they do a great job of the tennis coverage you know, barring the uh, <laughs> My Kitchen rules ads but I think it it is going to be fantastic to see the the new faces, but also who they choose to be the anchor, because that could be the key to a, a long, you know, we're just talking about Channel 9, 40 years. This could be 40 years of Channel 7 broadcasting the game in in its biggest moment. Do you reckon it'll be Gilchrist? Because he's, I wonder if he's contracted with Channel 10. I'm sure their contracts would have had to have been, Dependent. had some clause in them that, you know, from both parties, they wouldn't want each other if they don't have the cricket. I doubt anyone would have brought on a broadcast personnel without knowing when the broadcast deal yeah. was up and you know having some sort of clause in there. So exactly. yeah, I would agree. So huge commentary shake-up. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, if you just want any uh, of my advice, you can uh, tweet <laughs> at OzCricketPod. Happy to help put together this new lineup. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back with the cricket headlines. Uh, just a couple of things about the show. The show's moving to, to every two weeks at the moment while the IPL's on, and then we'll kick back up when the Aussies get back in action in June. If you've got time, please rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the show on. And you can now listen to the show on Spotify and the Tuned In app. So there's plenty of ways to listen to Cricket Unfiltered. All right, we'll be back with the Week in Cricket Headlines.
Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. Men is here with Paul Dennett and Trent Copeland. And let's go through the whole week of cricket headlines, or two weeks since the last show. The first one is our reports are surfacing about the World Cup draft schedule, the 50-over World Cup for next year. It's going to be a 10-team round-robin tournament, much like the 92 World Cup was in Australia. I think that was nine teams, though. But the top four go through to the semifinals. The the draft shows England v South Africa to start the tournament on May 30th next year, and then Australia to play their first game against Afghanistan on June 1st. Two of the nine Aussie matches are proposed to be day-night games, and then Australia will be playing someone in the final <laughs> on Sunday, July 15th, and there's a reserve day for the semis and final. I guess, you know, universally people said, why aren't they letting more associate nations in? But... Take that aside, this format will produce a very exciting tournament. I agree with with both points. I think they should have had much more. They could have had 14 teams in it and have the same format as the last tournament minus the quarterfinals, go straight to semis, and that way you kind of would have got the best of both worlds. Given they haven't done that, this will be, most matches will be pretty exciting. I still don't like how you can come first and lose your semifinal and you punt it out of the competition. I'd kind of like if they had one versus two, three v v four, do it a bit that way. Um... But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the tournament. I think there's an expectation from players' point of view that it is a tournament-based setup, and if you're not good on any given day, you should be out. Uh, so I think from a player's point of view, it's not like a full season of, you know, a, you know, a footy season where you've earned the right to have an extra week. I think from a player's point of view, the expectation and the knowledge that if you have a bad day in a knockout round, then you're going. So I think there's an acceptance of that as well. So, yeah, uh, what I'm disappointed with is the other nations not being involved. Uh, I think they had a place and they really grow as a result of being in it and causing upsets like Ireland have done and like Bangladesh have done in the past. But what about those sort of games that don't draw in the crowds because it's a a lopsided matchup like Australia v the Netherlands or something? Is that really a big deal? No, but I, I think that's why the ICC have done this. They want to maximise India's games and keep the tournament competitive. I personally think, you know, both what you've said is right. Paul, if they'd split it up and add the extra teams in, that would have been well, better. The, the benefit of having those other teams is the exposure to the mm. best tournaments. Exposure to, okay, we've just played against Australia and been thrashed. What can we learn from that? You know, that's the same as, you know, an under-19s player coming into the New South Wales team making his debut and maybe getting a duck because he's been knocked over by a guy who bowls 150 k's an hour. It's the same and it it creates exposure to learning quickly. And that's what I think will be lost from this. Uh, But uh, I would hope to see, and there's been plenty of uproar about it, out of this tournament when they have cut it down, we're going to see the best nations have to be on their game at the right time and peaking for that finals. Otherwise, we're going to get an upset in this World Cup. And every game is going to mean something in this round-robin tournament because you know, you want, you've got to finish in that top four. To your point before, part of the reason that maybe some of the minnows versus um, big nations games in the past were slightly problematic was because the format itself was so bad that we had 14 teams going to eight quarter finalists in the 2015 World Cup with 42 preliminary games and with the exception of Bangladesh upsetting England which then resulted in you know a, climac- uh, a seismic change in English cricket before the tournament everyone knew who the eight quarter finalists were going to be pretty much so the games themselves didn't mean anything if you could f- have the format so that the games did mean something 
then it would be interesting. And we would see upsets. Scotland would beat someone if they were in this World Cup because they're basically playing, they'd be basically playing at home. Ireland would have been very hard to beat. And you look at Sri Lanka in 1984, invited down to Australia uh, to play in the one-day series against Australia in the West, West Indies. And everyone thought, what, what's the point of this? They're an absolute um, you know, a joke of a team. 12 years later, they won the World Cup. Who's to say that if you didn't give Scotland a chance in 12 years' time, they could become, move out of minnow status? And now we, we, know, we don't get that opportunity. Well, World Cups are growing in all sports, so it's strange that cricket would be shrinking. All right, Australia are on the lookout for a new coach, a T20 and one-day captain and a vice-captain. Tim Payne has not been appointed to the white ball formats yet. Massive appointments with the World Cups coming up. I guess there's a few contenders for the white ball captaincy. Tim Payne himself, Aaron Finch, George Bailey, Peter Hanscom, Mitch Marsh. Any of those jump out to you guys? I think Aaron Finch probably jumps out. He's the, he did the job at the T20 level before. Of all of those, he's probably the most certain to be picked in the side as well. He seems like a really smart guy. Um, I'd have no problem with him being um, captain. I wouldn't mind Maxwell to throw it out of left field, even Chris Lynn. But I think Finch probably should be favourite. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. The other one, you know, I guess is Tim Payne, obviously because of his involvement at the test level. Uh, but Finch, I can vouch for being a fantastic human being that genuinely cares about his teammates uh, on and off the park. And he's also really grown as, as an on-field captain and a leader of the Victorian team over the past couple of years that have been really successful, uh, you know, winning three shields in a row. Uh, but also, you know, managing different, uh, I guess, egos and different talents, different players coming into the national setup. Yeah, is going to be part of these roles. And, you know, whoever gets the job, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. But I agree with this sentiment that I think Finch is probably the one guy in the absence of David Warner that is going to be a, a fixture at the top of our order in both white ball formats. And I would certainly not begrudge him in that And he's role. in career best form, I think, as well. Yeah, and Finch comes across as having a very wise head. He really seems to have matured in the last few years. And uh, you get the impression from him he's just got married. He, he's got his life in order. He's someone that's ready to take on leadership. But this will be no surprise to listeners. And maybe, Trent, we talked about this on the last po- podcast. Bring back George Bailey. I think this is absolutely made for someone like George Bailey to come in, take control of the white ball teams. And his his form's fantastic. He's he's averaging over forty in one day cricket for Australia, and he is a real leader. So why not take a punt and give Bailey a couple of years in charge of the side, and we can start to groom these players around him. So bring back Bailey. Oh, I've always been one of Bailey's biggest fans, but I can't agree with you on this one. I think that if it was five years ago, I'd say yes. But personally, I think that he's no longer in our best 11, in either T20 or 50 over format, and there endeth the story as far as I'm concerned. Well, one thing I can vouch for is that he's a lovely guy, and around the country there's no cricketer in you know domestic cricket that is respected more in terms of his leadership, what he offers his team, and just to how he thinks about the game, much like Steve Smith in the terms of you know, setting different fields or being proactive with how he deals with captaincy. So... What he's done over a long period of time for Tasmania certainly would stand up at that level. And when he did it over a couple of years ago, he he had a fantastic record and I think probably was moved on from that job too soon. Well, that's a one for the Bailey camp. And imagine how good would good it would be for those young players coming through, looking for a new test captain, looking for a new white ball captains, strong moral compass, 
charming speech at the Allen Border Medal, the way he was able to sort of make light of the fact that the selectors are ignoring him. I just think bring back Bailey. All right, this, the Cricket Australia men's contracts, oh, firstly the coach. So Justin Langer seems to be the front runner for the coach. Is there anyone else you can see sort of pipping him at the post? Question for you, Trent. Um, in other sports, and I agree, I think Langer is the favourite and I think you do a great job, but you look at someone like Bill Belichick in the NFL or Arsene Wenger Pat's, or... Pat's reference. Yeah. Wow, so good. Or Jose Mourinho or others. There are career coaches in other sports who started coaching at age 20 or whatever else and didn't have much of a, um, a successful career. I don't know how many of those are going around in cricket at this stage, but it does seem to be that unless you've played at the top or near top level, you're not being considered... Uh, how would you feel if you got a coach who was a career coach and had no sort of um, cricket record to speak of? Uh, yeah, and I was in the Australian team. I say, or, or, or the, the Pats. Wales, um, yeah. Quarterback for the Pats. Uh, ultimately, ultimately, I think the best person for this job, given the review that's going on into team culture and basically everything that goes on with the national setup, whoever gets this job is going to avert it. And whether that's Justin Langer or Jason Gillespie or Ricky Ponting, the likes of even Mike Hussey, the uh, current players that are the superstar types, Mm -hmm. or if it's someone else, I think they're going to have to really earn it in terms of the trust of the board in this current moment, uh, but also the fan base of this country. I think the one thing that, I guess, lends itself to having a past player a lot of the time is the fans of the game. Having an immediate understanding of what this person is about, and you can really get behind them. And, and when disappointment comes, they have a longer leash. Yep. So I think that's probably why it lends itself to that. Just touching on Justin Langer, he was a guy that got the best out of himself. Yep. He's had a fantastic career with not only WA as coach, but also as an assistant coach, batting coach, when I was in the Australian setup. Talked about the game with real passion at all times, but understands what it means to really have to earn your stripes and get the most out of your ability. And then the Scorchers record in white ball cricket. You know, there's no one really who has a greater pedigree outside of probably Jason Gillespie, who's the other side of the coin, who I think is very old school. Uh, in my experience, hasn't you know he doesn't love going video analysis, let's get up with the modern times. He is a old school, I can see technically what's going on here. Let's set this guy up like this. He's a very, let's talk it over a beer communicator within a dressing room and really gets the team to go around him and with him. And then Ricky Ponning, I think when we talked about commentary teams before, if he's not one of the coaches for Australia and he's not on the commentary team or vice versa, yeah. I'm going to be livid at that's everyone he's involved. Of, he's playing a lot of golf, that's for sure. Yeah, because I think he's the best modern day guy to analyse cricket and he's passion for the game. He was the first to training last to leave with a smile on his face up until the day he retired, but he has a profound impact on the current playing group. Mm, what about splitting up the split and splitting up the coaching? So if, if Punter were to just take the T twenty side and um, someone else were to take the test and fifty over side. Is, is that something we should look at? Because now the way it's going, I mean, you, the test team's off on a tour when the T Twenty side's back here playing. Yeah. So maybe Punter could take on a small part of the role and, and work with someone like Langer or Gillespie. Yeah, and some of these guys are doing lots of work in the IPL. They're doing county cricket, and they're getting more and more exposure to particularly white ball franchise cricket. So it's certainly going with the times. What I would love to see out of this review of Cricket Australia's setup is all of this stuff. You know, get an independent 
review of whether this stuff has merit without a vested interest in it. So I you can just I, listen to this podcast for that. Well, review. you know, I, well, I think we're sheepish to move towards that system because the guy at the top wants to have autonomy across all three formats and who's being selected, who's doing what, what any you know any given time, and uh, yeah, it would take a lot, I think, for that it's to a lot come of man hours for one coach now to be expected to be sort of on top of all three formats. You know, you can make an argument that it's it's too much. Well, it, you do have assistant coaches. Sorry to no. cut you off there. I, you do have a lot of assistants and a lot of resources at your disposal as the head coach. You know, guys like Brad Haddon, Ryan Harris, any other guy that's been involved in that setup over the last little bit of time. So. Those guys are the ones that I would see in future having expanded roles that may see when a T20 team's left over, they're the ones that take charge of that and they don't travel with a test team. And things like that can be written into an assistant coach's role. Right, I want to move on now to the CA men's contract list because there's been some big news. Out go Bancroft, Jackson Bird. Now, we know why Bancroft's gone, but I don't know why Bird's gone. All he did was play... One test match on a road, gets injured, and then his, his contract's taken away. Hilton Cartwright, James Pattinson injured, Steve Smith um, hiding out in New York, Matt Wade, Dave Warner, Adam Zampa all gone in. Come Carey, Sean Marsh back, back on the contract list. Who'd have thought? Tim Payne, Jai Richardson, Kane Richardson, Marcus Stoinis, and Andrew Ty all come back. You, you look at the inclusion, it sort of shows a, a, a sort of a slight lean towards the white ball game. Yeah, well, there's a World Cup coming up. This happens all the time. So I, I think the shock or you know, uproar about a few of these decisions uh, maybe have lost sight that every four years this happens. So in the lead up to an important one-day tournament, the last few contracts on the contract list are always geared towards having autonomy over fitness of important bowlers leading up to that tournament, but also the building towards a culture of a team in that environment. So we often change our Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood out of our one-day team a lot. I think you'll see that a lot less this year because you're building towards playing your best possible team and building a culture on how you play the game and particularly because we haven't been as successful in that format. So that's why it's happened. And guys like Sean Marsh, he's rewarded on the back of a great test summer, but no Smith, no Warner. We need experience in that lineup, and he's got that. It does seem as though that the list should be a longer list. I mean, there's a couple. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's time to expand the the, the actual contract by three or four players because some of those that have been left out, I think, I agree. Jackson Bird. Uh, I take your point around. He's not a not not a white ball cricketer, but he didn't do much wrong. He had one Test match on a you know that Dennis Lilly wouldn't have bowled well on. Some of those guys, I think, should still be on contracts. So the tampering trio have a year off now. Do you think they should be allowed to play county cricket to keep in form? It's a very interesting question because from a purist point of view, if you've been whether you agree with the sentence or not, that's what ultimately was sent down. They've accepted it. It has restored Australia's cricketing reputation a lot. I think that people all around the world who would have been saying, oh, well, you're a cheating country, can now say, oh, well, you know, someone did something a little bit wrong and they got the most amazing whack of a penalty that you could ever imagine. No, one else, no other country would have done that. Does it dilute if they then are allowed to play county cricket? Oh, I'm okay with it. Ultimately, it's an ECB decision to allow them. From a selfish point of view, as an Australian, I think it would be great for Warner, Warner, and, Ponting, uh, Warner and Smith for getting um, experience in the conditions where a year from now they're going to be playing in the Ashes and the, and the World Cup. So, I'm, you know, I can live with it, yeah. Copes? I find, Copes. It, 
Oh, yeah. I'm still sick in the stomach about all of this um, and for obvious reasons. But ultimately, these guys love the game of cricket and it's been their life. So I understand the penalties that are in place. I'm not commenting on whether I agree on them or not, but these guys can have a real impact on the youth of our game in this year where they've got to sit out of test cricket. Whether or not that is allowed to be shield cricket, what I would love, if there's a flat-out no to shield cricket, let these guys play Futures League cricket as captains in states. We have two teams in New South Wales. We have New South Wales ACT, which is a country team. We have New South Wales, which is our second 11 team. That is the bedrock of who is going to play shield cricket and then test cricket in terms of the next five to ten years. Great cricket's great. I know this is a CA-driven competition, but they can have such a huge impact on the youth of our country and the guys who are up-and-coming test cricketers over four days of a game talking cricket. And that, I think, would be a fantastic compromise in this whole thing, which I haven't seen as mentioned yet. I'd like to see them play the Big Bash. I think it would be you have kids and families going to that. It would be a great reminder of sort of... I guess why they're not playing for Australia is because of this and that would be so visible in the Big Bash. But, Trent, you said you felt sick in the stomach about it all. Uh, I mean, do you want to explain a bit of that? Not really, no. (laughs) I went to the Smith press conference, the Warner press conference. They were awful to watch. So well, I can only that's imagine, what I mean. Uh, there's you know, a teammate a, and a mate of those guys. Yeah. For must a week, be very hard. For a week there, the public lost sight of the fact that these guys are human beings. You know, good, long, over 10 years of, you know, busting your gut to get into that side, doing all you can for this country. And yeah, they made a mistake, but they are human beings and having to bear their souls in front of the country just to show face, uh, I think was, was really... You know, not necessary, but in the end it had to happen. But I just really feel for the people that they are and uh, I just hope that they're okay, you know, yeah. ultimately out of all of this. And I think the public have got there as well now, uh, but I just wish that this whole situation was just handled so much better, including from the minute they stepped off that field and not having to do that press conference yeah. in the first place. And the, you said the, that. the vision of Steve Smith leaving the airport in South Africa was to me the low light of the whole thing that they should have handled that. Whoever was in charge of that should have handled that a whole lot better. He shouldn't have had to walk through jeering crowds as though he was, you know, a criminal. That was that was terrible. Well, I guess we should end this show by taking a stab at the Poms. Uh, before we do that, I just want to remind you all, you can keep up with all the cricket news at dailytelegraph.com.au. Trent is a big part of the NRL Supercoach products. If you're a rugby league fan, get into it. It'll take over your life in a good way. Uh, Trent, you've enjoyed That's it arguable. so far? This yeah. yeah, it's been tough. I certainly can't pick a captain right, uh, but I love my footy and it's a great way of having knowledge across any game across the weekend. You know the players, you've got an invested interest in each game. That, you know, if Parramatta are playing West Tigers, I've got people that I can watch in that game and enjoy. So it's great fun. Good good banter amongst mates as well. My wife <laughs> beats me at it. So. Oh, good. Anyway, well done, Kimberly. But let's have a crack at the pomps. Yeah, yeah, so I'm let's end this one that. with a can't let it go. Normally I ask everybody for a can't let it go, but we're running out of time, and there's just one massive can't let it go for the whole cricket world is this 100-ball competition that the ECB have proposed. Now, we talked about the ball tampering before. That was a few guys making a mistake one day. This is far worse than that. This is the ECB being arrogant and stupid. The whole world's t- taken to 2020 cricket, and they go, oh, you know what, we're going to change it all. I mean, how stupid. 
silly of them to think that they could get away with this. And I hope the ICC actually says, well, if you want to go ahead this, we're not going to sanction it. Because what are we going to do? Have everybody coming up with their own unique comp, you know, the 90 ball comp, the 85 ball comp, the 11 and a half over comp. It's just ridiculous. So England, you're a laughing stock. That's all I can say. Do you guys, what do you think of a 100 ball concept? Well, that T20 game is really struggling at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, uh, the big the big thing for me is I alluded to, to it at the start of this podcast that England were really the pioneers of T20 cricket and mm. they flooded the market so much over there and changed the formats to Friday night every week and playing 100 games over there with 18 counties that they really lost the crowds over there. So I think that is a real reason why this is happening. They're trying to win back the public over there with short format cricket it will be successful because I've got no doubt that short format cricket is great to watch. But what they've missed here is that they're killing off statistics that are being built mm. on 2020 cricket. They're killing off the ICC sanctioned events. They're killing off players that understand how to play a certain game. They've been the only country in the world playing Pro 40 cricket over the last little while. Nothing's caught on in the international scene there, and I don't see this catching on either, other than being a TV-worthy product. They've lost their ashes, and now they've lost their minds. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem, that this is not something that they said, wow, we can improve T20. It's something that the the broadcaster said, we'd like to get T20 games inside two and a half hours, and they said, well, we can't do that. And so presumably they've just caved into BBC2 because of their desperation to get it back on free-to-air television, and created this 16 and two-thirds over concept. They should have been able to say to BBC2, hey, guys, an extra half hour, you can put back whatever crazy panel show you're going to have. This is going to be popular. You know, they're still... I know cricket is on the decline in England, but it's still a big sport. They should have been able to flex their muscles. And, and the other thing as well is they've still kept their old T20 competition. And that's... Imagine when we started with the Big Bash, if we kept the state-based um, Big Bash as well, it would have been crazy. The counties over there are so popular, which is a great thing. And people are really heavily invested in their county, sadly, in a way that a lot of Australians aren't necessarily in their state side. So that's a good thing. But the counties then have been reluctant to say, actually, we'll turn over this competition to you guys. Make it a city-based, marketing, Americanized concept like the Big Bash that will bring in all the kids, bring in all the people that don't necessarily love the game and really get the best of both worlds. Instead, they've gone too far. They've even flirted with the idea of getting rid of the LBW law. Um, they've apparently decided to keep the LBW law, which is um, which Do you is imagine good. they said to you, Copes, bowl the last over, it's 10 balls and no LBWs. Just, Have fun. Yeah, I mean, Honestly, is there anyone on the ICC panel that has a bowler's mind? Obviously not. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, and they think that changing the size of bats was going in our favour. Yoo-hoo. But uh, honestly, the, the great thing that they have done is this new franchise tournament has eight teams. Yeah. That's what England needed. Yes, exactly. They had to dil- – the dilution of the counties over there and the talent that's literally available to them just wasn't enough to sustain it. This will bring back gr- – like we were talking about the World Cup before, this was needed. So yeah. I'm glad they've done that. I'm really disappointed they've tried to change what is a successful game in, in the world, yeah. everywhere it's been Jack played in the world. Test cricket, do something with four-day cricket. But anyway, yeah. I think they'll walk this back. My opinion is in two years it will be a 2020 comp. Someone will talk sense in them to them. Well, guys, we're running out of time. The podcast is coming to an end. Thanks, everyone, for downloading the show. Trent, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, anytime. I love uh, talking cricket. I could talk underwater with marbles in my mouth at most times. So well, thank you. Paul, thanks for coming in. Great to be here as always, Menas. 
All right, listeners, thanks again for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And keep your fingers crossed that we win the award on May 5th.